Well, good morning, Rockbridge. It's so great to be here. Good morning to our people who are joining us online. I see Betty and Connie and Tim and Jen. And we're just so glad that you have chosen to worship God with us, that you have taken time out of your week because you know the, that it is vitally important that we connect with God, that we connect with Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith, hope, and love, these three things remain. Or if you want to use that old language, these three things abide. But the greatest of these are, is love. Now, love seems like it would be something that would be pretty obvious, pretty easy to understand, pretty easy to explain. But when we think about it for a minute, we use the word love for a lot of different things, right? I can say I love the Dallas Cowboys, and I can say I love Michelle, but those two things better have some different meaning, right? We use love for things that we like. We use love for different relationships. We have love for friends. We have love for family. We have love, uh, romantic love. And so it can be kind of confusing. And on top of all that, not everyone experiences love in the same way. And what I mean by that is many of us have experienced what we thought was love in unhealthy relationships. And so it has skewed our understanding of love that we don't even know quite exactly what it means to love and to be loved. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. What is love? And how do we know when we're experiencing it? And why is it so important? The, the Greek language does a little better job. They have different words for love. They have love for family love. They have love for brotherly love, that kind of friendship. They have a word for romantic love. And they have this word agape. And that's what we're talking about today. This is the, the, the word that is referenced in the passage that I just said from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And agape love is the all-consuming sacrificial love. And especially what we're talking about is the all-consuming sacrificial love that God has for us, which is just kind of amazing. I think it's normal for us, but if you've grown up in the church, to talk about sacrificial love from God. But that's not how religion worked before Jesus, right? That's not, it's we love God, we give things to God, and we do that. We worship God, we give God love. But this is a two-way street in our belief. And as much as we love God, it pales in comparison to the love that God has for us. I don't know why we started the tradition, but a long time ago, Michelle and I started singing Jesus Loves Me every single night to our children. If I was Aaron, I'd probably sing it for you, uh, but, I'm <laughs> but nobody wants me to sing for you guys tonight. But it has so, become so ingrained into what we do. It becomes like a prayer and a blessing that we sing over our kids. But that even when they're away from us, many times they'll call us on the phone and they'll say, can you sing us Jesus Loves Me? And it's, it's one of the most heartwarming, enduring uh, things that, you know, your kids do, those special moments. You're like, oh, okay, maybe I'm doing okay as a parent after all. But I think we all need to hear the words of Jesus Loves Me the Bible tells me so every single day because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy for us not to conceptualize this because this kind of love is rare. We don't experience this love in our world too much, as much as we try, because often our love here is transactional. Karl Barth, the great theologian, I think I mentioned him a few weeks ago, was asked, how would you explain theology in one line? And this is the words he used. He said, Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. I think we struggle with it because we also have been taught, some of us, that God is angry. And that there's some truth. You know, the Bible does talk about God's wrath, but God's wrath is poured out on our sin and these actions that we do 
when we don't love God and love one another. But what God has for us is love. And I love that so many of the songs brought up the sacrificial love that God has for us. But Romans 5, 7, 8 says this, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. I think that's really interesting that it says very rarely will someone die for a righteous person. When you're doing the right things, you often stir up good trouble. You know? So very rarely would someone die for a righteous person. Though for a good, someone, a good person, someone might possibly die. But this is the thing. This is what it says. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or as we say every single week, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves God's love toward us. We don't have to have anything together to get God's love. There's nothing transactional about it. And I think this is why it's so hard to understand. We don't earn it. We just receive it. It is poured out and poured out until our cup overflows. And hopefully those around us begin to experience that love as well. And so we're going to talk today about that incredible love that needs to be the foundation. In fact, the scripture that we're about to read says God is love. The author of 1 John wants us to know that the most fundamental nature of God is love. And through that is how we can best understand. And to know that Jesus loved me is the most basic and important theology that we can ever hear. And so our scripture today comes from 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. This is what it says. Dear friends, I love this because it kind of encourages us. These letters were written to a community of faith, and they were to see each other as, as friends and brothers, despite being across the social strata of that day. Dear friends, let us love each other because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. But the person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. So how do we act and live and move and breathe in this world? It is in love for God and for one another. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Love isn't weak. Love is strong. Love breaks the power of sin that has a hold on us. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we ought to also love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. The word of God for the people of God. We are called to love one another because God is love. The most fundamental nature that we describe the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is love. And we know that because Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins. Uh, in John, it says, there, no greater love is this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the sacrificial agape love that we are talking about. And Jesus did it without anything needed in return. Now, that doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, I'm talking about this free gift of God's love. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want stuff from us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want our worship. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want our acts. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want our praise. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to live out with justice in the world as best we can. But what it means is the gift of love is freely given to us. There's no way we can earn it. 
Even talking about earning God's love is not in the picture, right? It's not transactional at all. And I, again, this is so hard for us as humans to understand because everything we do is transactional. We think about how every action affects our equilibrium of those around us, but that is not how it is with God. He just pours love into our lives. And then it becomes this chain reaction of love is what it's supposed to be. Because as it says, you, most people do not see God, right? For whatever reason, God sent the Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus went back and dwelt with God in heaven until the day when Jesus returns. And so the, the God that most people will see on a day-to-day basis is the God with skin on the church. And so the same way that we receive that unending amount of love, we are supposed to pour that love out into the world around us. And that is how the beautiful community is supposed to live. We have to love others in the way that we are loved. And Scripture says to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the other big key to understanding love is to treat others as the way we're treating that golden rule that everyone is taught in elementary school, that we are to treat others as we want to be treated. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to treat others in the way I want to be treated, as in take them to go watch a Cowboys game. No. We want to treat others in the way they want to be treated with respect and love and dignity that all humans deserve and are owed. It goes on to say that we ought to love others in the same way, that then God abides in us. Again, that language, that God is in us, that God is moving in us and through us. So I think there's a few things that the Scripture teaches us that we can apply to our life and understand and how we live out that love in the world around us. The first thing is that God's love is creative. God's love is creative. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, it's this beautiful act of creation that God creates. I don't even know we can exactly know why God chose to create. My biggest guess is that God wanted companions to love. God wanted a world to love. God wanted a universe to love. God didn't need us, but God chooses. Because we believe God is in a relationship, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's this holy trinity, this holy family. And God wanted creation be a part of that. And it says that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. When God creates human in God's own image, male and female, we are created. It says we are very good. God created a beautiful creation. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that sin isn't a reality, but God sees us as very good and very beautiful because God sees the potential of who we can be. God meets us where we are, doesn't leave us where we are, but through God's creative work continues to help us grow. And what's interesting about that is that even in Genesis chapter 1, creation is invited into the creative process. It doesn't just say that God continued to do everything, but God gives the plants and God gives the animals and the humans the ability to be fruitful and multiply. So creation itself is invited into that creative process. So love is creative. Love goes beyond bounds. Love breaks down barriers. I think we as humans, it's natural to be a bit tribal. It's natural to focus on our family first. It's natural to focus on people who are like us. It's natural to think that way. And we see the the results, even with the best of intentions, of how that works itself out in the world. 
But this creative love of God is calling us to break down barriers, to see one another outside of our family, outside of our house, outside of those who we have to love, right? Want to love. As family, over and over, Scripture tells us that the, the people of God is a family, and this people is not ever exclusive. The doors are never shut. People are always invited in. And so that means that everyone is to be seen as family. I think that's going to be something about heaven. I do believe that we will know the ones that we love in a unique and intimate way, but I believe that when we have all of our sin taken away, when we are this recreated being, that we will see each other truly as family. And as Christians, we are called now to live now as if that's a reality, even though it's imperfect. And so we're called to be creative in our love and let it break down boundaries. And that's the second piece that I think the scripture tells us is that God's love is abundant. Too often in our world, we, we have a mindset of scarcity. There's only so many resources. There's only so much space. There's only, only so many people can see. If I succeed, it must mean that someone else must fail. But that's not how God's economy works. God's love is abundant. God's resources are abundant. God's gifts are abundant. Jesus said, I came to give life and give it abundantly. And so often, in addition to talk about eternal life, I'll talk about the abundant life that God calls us to now. And that doesn't mean that we have everything we want. That doesn't mean we have everything we desire. But in the midst of even our pain and sorrow, even in the midst of the good times and the bad times, we can experience and thrive in the way that God wants us to live here and now because God's love is abundant. God's love is the wellspring of love that gives us strength, that gives us energy. And even when we're hurting, even when we're in our darkest moment of grief, that wellspring of love is bubbling within us to show us God's love. God's love is abundant, and it continually, continually pours out of us into the world around us. Last thing I want to talk about is that God's love transforms. Oh, there's actually two things, sorry. God's love transforms. Because I think this is really important, because sometimes we talk about truths of Scripture, and we don't really talk about the other side of it, you know? the fact that God's grace is a free gift and salvation is free. But the other side of it is that what we do is important. Our works are important. We're called to be crafted, you know, God's handiwork to do good works. That doesn't mean they save us, but there's still things we're called to do. The same thing is true with this love. God loves you exactly where you are and who you are right here in this moment. And if you did nothing else, God would still love you just as much. But that love also transforms us into something more. This community that, that John, the, the author, is writing to you, he wants them to become something more. He wants them to experience God's love and to love one another as God loved them. So God meets us where we're at, but is constantly transforming us. We all struggle with sin. I've never met a human that doesn't struggle with sin. I think if we went and talked to the most holy human besides Jesus that has ever lived, they would say, yeah, I struggle with sin each and every day. And God wants us to slowly become less sinful. That's why we worship. Because when we worship something, we become more like that thing. And too often, while we don't call it worship, if we look where we spend our time and our money and our energy, there's a lot of things that we worship in this world. And God's ever directing us back to worship God more and more so that we can experience God's love and we can be 
transformed. So God loves you the way you are right now, but God also sees the potential in you. God can see what you'll be tomorrow and the day after, and God is excited to work with you and in you and through you to do good things. So God's love transforms. And when we love one another, when we start doing that to each other, then we see that transformation with one another. One of the most important things that we do as people who love one another is hold each other accountable. We have these circles of trust, so there's small groups, life groups, grace groups, friends, mentors, and faith who are supposed to show up in our life when we're starting to stray off the path. We're not living as God wants us to live. We're not living lives of love. And because we love them and because they love us, we have given them the space to say, David, what you're doing, I don't think that fits into the life that you're called to live. Now, so often we see that in the world and it's a sense of judgment. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, holding, I'm talking about holding each other lovingly accountable to the path that God has called us to. Your job as a church is to hold the leaders and the pastors and the staff lovingly accountable to the mission of the church. Their job as pastors and staff is to hold you lovingly accountable to who you are called to be. And it's when we do that that we really begin to see the work of God in the world. Finally, God's love sins. I love that we're starting these new relationships with Hill Country Community Ministries and continue with Reveal and this concept of volunteering, that giving our resources is important, but so is giving our time because God's love sins. Because there are people out there in need of love. There are people who've been taught that they are only worth what they can produce. There are people who've been taught that they aren't worth anything. There are people in taught, who, are, who are taught that they have no value because they are hurting and lost and alone. But you are people who know the truth. You are a people of God's love. You have had God pour love into you. Hopefully your cup is full. And if it's not, there are other people that can bear that burden for a little bit. But when our cup is full, God wants us to let it run over. And we go out in the world. And I believe that each of us are called uniquely and wonderfully to something. That God is asking you to do something right here and right now to live out God's love in the world. I may not know what that is, but I imagine that you're getting nudges here or there as you read scripture, as you sing, as you pray, as you gather with your friends. And all I'm asking you is to just say yes to God's love. I think it's important to think a little bit about how we receive God's love. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about discipleship, which is kind of a fancy word for how we grow in our faith. And we're going to talk different ways that we receive God's love and grow in it. There's one piece that I want to talk about today, and that is a mindset change. So oftentimes it's important for us, if we're going to change our behavior, to change our mindset first. And so when you want to spend time for God, I want, I want you all to change your mindset. So often it's another task on a list. So often it's an obligation. I want you to think about it as something you get to do, not something you have to do. I know when I get to spend time with my wife, it's not a chore. When I get to spend time with my best friends, it's not a chore because I want to spend time with them. And if we can transition our mind away from the sense that the life of faith is something that we have to do to something that we get to do, then we'll begin to look eagerly forward to spending that time with God. We'll, we'll, we'll think in the morning, oh man, my day will be so much better if I can spend time with my best friend who is God. 
Oh, my week will be so much better if I can gather with people who believe in this God of love that, that we can gather together and worship and we'll be charged up to go be the people of God throughout the week. Change your mindset from have to to get to and look forward to spending time with Jesus, the one who loved you so much that he died on a cross that you might have life eternal and abundant. And maybe... Maybe, just maybe, you'll start to experience that abundant love in your life and let it overflow. Karl Barth says the most important thing that any Christian can learn is Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. And so today, as you go home and you go back with your family and you face the week ahead of you, know the height and depth and breadth of God's love for you. Know the ends of the earth that God is willing to do, how far God is willing to go, how deep God is willing to go, that he sent his one and only son that whoever loves him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then let that creative, transforming love bubble up in you until those around you will come to know the goodness of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.